0: Listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. Well, Stonegate, it is great to see you today. If you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. It would be so helpful if you had your Bible um, out there on your lap, uh, open, where you could read along with us and follow along as we uh, work through this text this morning. And uh, let me just take a step back as you are turning to Mark chapter 10 and acknowledge that as a church, we are in a sweet season right now. Uh, We're in one of those make room seasons in the life of our church. The, The Lord keeps sending us more people who need Jesus. Uh, who need a church home, and that's a blessing for any church, isn't it? We we want the Lord to keep doing that, to keep sending us people who need him and need a healthy church home to to intertwine their life with, Uh, and for us to steward that well, for us to uh, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. It's been one of the passages that we've been thinking about over the last month. For us to do that, for us to make room for other people, uh, we are going to three services on October the 16th. So just mark that down, three services, October the 16th, uh, our new service time starting on that day, October the 16th, will be 8, 9.30, and 11. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we just wanted to acknowledge, though, that for this to actually work... Eh, like to actually make room and allow us to welcome more people. One of the needs that we had were for 500 people to commit to uh, that 8 a.m. service. And uh, we said this last week, and I just wanna say it again, I wanna thank you. We had over 600 people commit to that 8 a.m. service. Just amazing, yeah. As a church family, you have just been so adaptable and flexible, and that is such a wonderful thing, and I am so deeply grateful for that. Now, this week, I wanna chat with you about our second need. Uh, If we're actually going to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, uh, if we're actually going to make room for other people, uh, I want to chat with you about a second need uh, that we're going to have to embrace as a church family. And just to put it simply, here is the need. Uh, We need everyone who calls Stonegate home serving. If we're going to actually make room, if we're going to actually move into this moment in the way that would be most pleasing to the Lord. Here's what's going to be needed for everyone who calls Stonegate home uh, to be serving. Uh, Or we could say it this way. Uh, One way we can make room for others is by serving others. And that's the theme that I really want to chat with you about today is uh, what does it look like for us as a church to develop a posture of servanthood? for our whole lives to be aimed toward serving others. And that's where this text in Mark 10 is going to help us. Now, let's just take a step back and acknowledge some of the context around our text this morning, our passage. In, in Mark 8 through 10, uh, here's what you could think of uh, is happening there. In those three chapters, Jesus is discipling his disciples. That's what's happening in Mark 8, 9, and 10. He is teaching his disciples. Then when you get to Mark chapter 10, verse 35, those 11 or so verses that you just heard read, Jesus lays down a crucial lesson for his disciples then and for you and I, his disciples now. It is a vital lesson, a crucial lesson. Jesus is showing them how to become great. That's what he's teaching them. He's teaching them how to become great, what greatness looks like through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus does this in our passage with three sort of movements, three things that he's going to do here in this passage. First, he exposes their desire for greatness— that's the first thing we're going to see. Secondly, he redirects that desire for greatness, and then thirdly, he shows them the way to greatness. That's the movements that we're going to see in this text. Now, uh, let me just take uh, uh, one step back before we jump in. Probably a decade and a half ago, it was probably 15 or 16 years ago, I came across one chapter in this little book uh, called Humility by C.J. Mahaney that dealt with this passage. It has forever just shaped the way. When I come to Mark 10, uh, verse 35, and read this text, It just forever shaped the way that I see this text. And part of it is going to be playing out that shaping in this sermon today in these categories today. So let's start with the first movement, the first point here. The desire for greatness exposed. This is what Jesus is doing in this text. He's exposing their desire for greatness. Now, if you back up just a couple of verses to verse 32, Mark 10, verse 32, uh, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And for the third time, Okay, this is the third time he has said the exact same thing to them. And here's what he communicates in verses 32 through 34. He says, um, hey, we are going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, it is about to be bad. Uh, I'm about to be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes. It's the humiliation of Jesus. This is what he's alerting them to, that when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be falsely accused, I'm going to be condemned, and I'm going to be crucified. Uh, Think of it, uh, just to put it in a modern sort of moment, uh, if you were to come to a group of your friends and say, I've just been diagnosed with cancer, and I just have a few days to live. That's what this moment feels like. It's it's, with that sort of sobriety and heaviness. that's, That's this moment. Jesus is inviting them into the deepest places of his heart. Now, I want you to notice what comes immediately following that. Guys, I'm about to die. Here's what comes next. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's what's next. Now, every parent knows that's a really bad game to play, right? But we are not in a good place right now. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Verse 36. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37. And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Can you believe that? Is that not crazy? Again, Jesus has exposed his soul. This is you and your friends. You have just told them you are about to die. And James and John, they didn't let that phase them, right? They moved right past Jesus's humiliation and right to their exaltation. They looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, I don't know what you just said, but I've got a question for you. Right? Jesus, your job is just answer in the affirmative. Your job is just to give a yes when we ask the question. So, so here is our question to you, Jesus. When you set up your kingdom, when you look at your boys, James and John, and can we have a seat, one on your right, one, Jesus, can we get this down in writing? And then after we get this in writing, can we go let the other guys know about this? This is what's happening in this text. Now, to be fair to James and John, they weren't the only ones concerned about greatness. If you back up one chapter to to Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 30, this is the second time, Mark 9 30, where Jesus says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm about to die. Right? It's the, it's the same conversation. It's the second version of it. Uh, we're going to get there and it's going to go terribly for me. I, I'm about to be condemned and crucified when we get to Jerusalem. And the same thing happens. He, he invites all of his disciples deep into his heart. And then in, in chapter 9, verse 33, uh, Jesus asks them the question. They all start talking among themselves. And Jesus asked the question, hey, what were you discussing on the way? Verse 34, but they, this is all the disciples, but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Can you believe that? This is just an unbelievable set of passages and, and scenes that we're seeing here. All the disciples wanted greatness. So much so that when the rumor mill makes it back to the rest of the disciples of what James and John had done, you read verse 41. And when the ten heard about it, they began to be indignant at James and John. James and John, how dare you grab from us the greatness that we want? How dare you do that? Are you seeing the picture here that's unfolding in Mark 9 and 10? Uh, These two chapters together, Mark 9 and 10, show us a picture of the disciples' deep down desire for greatness, for greatness. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question, what do you expect Jesus to do with that insensitivity, with this craziness going on? What do you expect him to do? Uh, So again, picture the scene. Uh, James and John, they, they make their grab for greatness, Now, the entirety of the 12 disciples are about to go into the octagon to kind of work this thing out. That's what you have going in verse 41. I mean, it is about to be a, there's about to be a rumble happen among the disciples here. And what do you expect Jesus to do? How do you expect him to respond to this? Maybe you could put yourself in the situation. How would you respond to a group of people like this? What what would you say to them? What, what would you do in this moment? Now look at verse 42, and I want you to notice what Jesus does. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you. Now, I just want you to stop right there. Don't read on yet. Just stop there. And I want you to notice that in this text, Jesus does not renounce their desire for greatness. He doesn't say, hey, you know that desire for greatness that you have? It's just... Kind of keeps popping through in all sorts of weird ways. Uh, Hey, that desire of greatness should be renounced. It should be repented of. You You should stop desiring greatness. That's not what he says. Why? Well, because the desire for greatness was put there by God and for God. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 in the scriptures. God puts our first parents in a garden, and then he puts in them a desire for greatness. And that desire for greatness was intended by God to be satisfied in God's way. He looked for me for direction and how to, how to be great. Right, right? This is the way God set it up. But in Genesis 3, our first parents sinned. And when they sinned, that that sin twisted and distorted everything, including their desire for greatness, Uh, the disciples' desires for greatness, your desire for greatness. Uh, But Jesus is showing us here that the problem wasn't that they wanted greatness. Uh, The problem in this text is uh, their way to greatness. It's not that they wanted it. It's in the way they were choosing to go about getting it. That's the problem of this text. They wanted greatness, but they wanted it the world's way. Let me climb over your dead body to get to the top. That's what they were doing. Right? This is their view of greatness. So I want you to notice in this text, Jesus doesn't renounce their desire for greatness. He redirects it. That's what's happening in this text. Jesus takes their desire for greatness, and then Jesus redirects that desire for greatness. Jesus is looking at them and saying, okay, so you want to be great. Great. I want you to be great. Now, let me show you how to be great. Verse 43. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you. Here it is, redirected. Whoever would be great among you must, you might underline that word must, Uh, That means there is only one way. There are no workarounds. This is the one and only way to greatness. Whoever would be great among you must, must be your servant. Must be your servant. Look at verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is showing his disciples that greatness is not defined by how much money you have, how much power you have, how much prestige you have. Uh, Greatness doesn't come from your ability to claw your way to the top. It doesn't come from your ability to get other people below you and beneath you. No, he says, if you want to be great, here's what must happen. You must become a servant you're going to have to get small. You're going to have to get low. You're going to have to be so low that you can serve other people. He so says, if you, if you want to be great, he takes it further. If you, if you want to be great, you must be a slave. Could Jesus say anything more offensive there to us? If you want to be great, here is your way to greatness you must be a slave. You, you, you have to lose all rights to your life. If you want to be great, this is the way to greatness. But Jesus takes it a step further. He, he adds on those two little words in verse 44. If you want to be great, here's, here is the way to greatness. You must be a slave. And then you see those last two words of what? Of all. He doesn't say you must be a servant or a slave of some. Uh, You know, uh, like those people in your life who are deserving of you being a servant to them. Um, uh, Those people in your life who, uh, you know, they they serve you in return. Now, here's, if you want to be great, here's the people you have to learn how to to serve. Uh, Those people who love you. Those people who accept you. uh, Those people who are kind to you. uh, Those people that it pays you to serve. No, he says, If you want to be great, here is is what you must do. You must become a servant, a slave of all, of those who give you nothing in return, of those who are costly and inconvenient to serve. He says, that is the way to biblical greatness. That is the way. There is no other way. You must go this way. If you want greatness, this is the way you must go. Now, Jesus is looking at him and saying, hey, you want to be great. And I want you to be great. And I want to clarify the way of greatness. The path to greatness always, he says, always, it must, it always runs through the valley of the cross. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, The lower you go, the greater you become. The more humble you are, the greater you are. That, that is the way to greatness. Now, let's just take a step back and ask some questions about that. Do you believe that is the way to greatness? Just, Just ask your own heart that question for a moment. Do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Do you believe that is the way to greatness? Because there have always, there have always been competing sort of ways or perceptions of what it means to be great. Look at verse 42. Here are some of the competing uh, perceptions. In verse 42, Jesus uh, calls them to him and said to them, and, and he's just going to show them this is what worldly greatness looks like. Left to yourself. This is how you're going to try to be great. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. There's worldly greatness. They they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. This is how our culture thinks about greatness. This is the the predominant way that people over the centuries have thought about greatness. Greatness is defined by those at the top, not the bottom. It is defined by, by those who are exercising their rights and authorities, not by those who are giving up their rights and authority. That's how our world sees greatness. Maybe we can say it this way. The world sees greatness like this. How do you know that you're great? Here's how you know. Because you have made servants of all. That's how you know that you're great. You have made servants of all. If you just look up the word great in the dictionary, here's what Webster's would tell you. To be chief or preeminent over others. That's the way our culture sees and perceives greatness. Greatness. Uh, to be chief or preeminent over others. Greatness, according to our culture, is getting other people below you. So when we use the word great, what we mean is, um, hey, you're great athletically because you are better than or over other people. You're great academically because you are better than or or over other people. Uh, You're great in business because your bottom line is better than other people. That's how we use the word greatness, but that's not the way that Jesus sees greatness. Jesus has a very upside-down way of seeing greatness. Here is Jesus's way of greatness. It's not to make servants of all, it's to be a servant of all. That is the way to greatness according to Jesus. Now, does that describe you? I just want to give you a second to be self-reflective and to think about your life. Would, Would that describe you, a servant of all? Where in your own life do you draw sort of boundaries around where and who you're gonna be a servant of? Do they have to have the same political beliefs as you, the same, I mean, where do you draw the lines in your life? These people are worthy of me being a servant of and those people, no. This is when the pitchforks come out. Where are those lines in your life? Servant of all, does that describe you? Don't assume it does, ask that of yourself. Be be self-reflective. Ask the Lord to show you. Does this this describe you? I, I think most of us, me included, most of us live with an undetected pursuit of worldly greatness. It's just kind of in there, below the surface of our life, animating, energizing so much of our life, but we're just sort of unaware of it. I think most of us live with this sort of a desire for worldly greatness. How do I make servants of all? Not, not become a servant of all, but make servants of all. It just sort of lives down there in us somewhere. And here's, here's one of the ways that you can see that, that desire for worldly greatness. One of the best ways to see it is to watch how you respond when other people treat you like a servant. What comes up and out of you in those moments? But what happens to you in those moments? When people treat you without the honor you want, without the understanding you want, without the respect that you want, without the kindness you want, without the consideration you want, it's those types of moments that show us where our boundaries are. Where we have bought into the wrong view of worldly greatness, or of greatness, those sort of moments show us these things. Servant of all, slave of all. Does that describe you, your posture? If we were to follow you home today and just watch how you're interacting in the context of your home with your group of friends, if you're married with your spouse, if you have kids with, with, with your kids and, and your parenting, if you're a kid and you're living in the context of your home toward your, does this describe the way and the posture by which you're living? The orientation of your life. Just, would you just now begin to ask the Lord to show you that? To reveal anything today that he would want you to see about that? Jesus is saying, here is the way to greatness, to become a servant of all. Now, there are so many ways we could apply this moment. And today, I want to apply it directly to kind of how you're operating inside of uh, Stonegate and a local church. I want to apply it in that way. Stonegate, I I think you would agree with me in this, that I want our church to be great in the eyes of God. Not great in the eyes of people, but great in the eyes of God. Don't you want that? I, I want that. And if we want to be a great church, it has nothing to do with the size of Stonegate, the notoriety of Stonegate, the preaching of Stonegate, the music of Stonegate. It has nothing to do with those things. A great church is made up of men and women who have humbled themselves. It's made up of a group of men and women who have lowered themselves. They've lowered themselves all the way down to a position of a servant, a slave, a servant of all, a slave of all. That is when, the, when Jesus is looking across the landscape of churches and he says, that one's a great one, Jesus is showing us this is his grip. This is what's making them great. They have lowered themselves. They have humbled themselves. They are, they are giving their lives away for the good of others, to welcome others, to make room for others. This is the posture with which they're living. Now, today is an opportunity for us to take a step toward what the Bible would call great. And there's two things, and you know, in a lot of ways that I'm praying for this morning. First is for those who are already serving around our church family. And if that's you, I'm just praying that you would feel really in some ways affirmed by the application of this text in this way across the church, Uh, because you're already stepping into what the Bible calls great. You are lowering yourself to serve other people. to to make yourself a slave of all, a servant of all. You you are doing that in the context of the church. And I hope you feel so affirmed and seen and recognized and honored by Jesus today. You are becoming great in the eyes of God. And it takes so many people around Stonegate to do that. If you just walk through the building on a Sunday morning, you're going to see people from the parking lot, just all over the place doing this very thing. So if that's you, I, I want to say thank you. The Lord sees, he knows what you're doing. He sees it all. Now, I also want to talk to those who aren't serving. And here is my hope in this moment for you. I just want to take that deep down desire for greatness that lived in the disciples and lives in you and make sure it's aimed at the right things. To to make sure you're seeing your life in a way that you could actually be stepping toward and walking toward greatness. And church, if we are going to make room for the next wave of people, it's going to take everyone in our church family making that trek toward greatness. It's going to take everyone in our church family finding ways to lower ourselves in service of other people. Every single one of us. Not just a select few, but every single one of us. Um, over the years, we've talked about uh, the two ways you can see a church. The two ways to see a church, and uh, we've used a hotel and a home to describe those. And uh, let me just tease those out with you for a moment. So one way you can see the church is as a uh, hotel church. That's the the way that you see it. Now, think about the last time you stayed in a hotel. You open the door, and it's amazing, isn't it? That room is cleaned for you, hopefully. That, That room is clean for you. That bed's made, right? The bathroom's clean. Your pillow is even fluffed in that hotel room. It's amazing. And here's what's so amazing about it. It's all done for you, right? You didn't didn't touch any of those things. It's all done for you. Now, think about your home. A home is an entirely different thing, isn't it? If your bed is made, your bed didn't magically get made. It was not done for you. It was done by you, right? If your lawn gets mowed, it doesn't just magically happen, It wasn't done for you, it was done by you. If the trash gets taken out, if the bathroom is clean, if your pillow is fluffed when you go home today, it's not because somebody did it for you, it's because it was done by you. Now think about those two ways of operating. I come into a place and everything needs to be done for me, or I come into a place and I'm ready to engage in that place and and have things be done by me. How do you view the church? Do you view it as a hotel or do you view it as a home? Now, there are some of us today, that I just want to throw this caveat in, you have come banged up and busted up and the, you can just ignore everything I'm saying right now. And it would just be our honor to serve you, uh, to let Jesus refresh you and heal you. And you can get to a place in the future where this sermon will be perfectly applicable to you. But if that's you, man, you can just sit back and ignore what I'm saying. Let, let us serve you. It would be a privilege to do that. But, but for many of us in the room, we're not banged up right now. We're okay. It's just all the nicks and scrapes that come with life in a fallen world, but, but we're doing okay. And at the same time, Stonegate is our church. This is the church where we've landed. But we're treating it like a hotel, not a home. And if that's you, I I just want you to hear, the only way we can make room for others, welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed us, the only way we can do that is for everyone who calls Stonegate home to treat it like a home, not like a hotel. The the only way we can do it is for all of us to take that step to greatness by making ourselves a servant of all. So if you would, could you just grab this card for me? It should have been on the seat as you came in. This is the second big ask uh, for us. If we're going to make room, if we're going to welcome others as Jesus has welcomed up us, this is uh, the, the second ask. And listed on this card are some ways for you to be able to pursue biblical greatness. And so here's the ask. Here's what we're asking everyone from Stonegate, that you will say yes to biblical greatness by saying yes to a way to serve around Stonegate. You've got the options listed there. And just as an aside, the the normative way uh, that we would want anyone approaching Stonegate is to have this sort of a mentality. I am a person who attends a service and then serves in a service, attend one, serve one. So just, I'm I'm gonna find one service where I'm gonna find a need around here and I'm gonna plug my life into that need as a way of pursuing biblical greatness. So I'm going to attend one and serve one. I'm going to come to a service in one hour, just like you're doing here. And then I'm going to take the other hour and I'm going to give my life away to become a servant of all, a slave of all. That that would be the normative way we would want everyone to see serving around Stonegate. So here are the ways to serve. And I I would just encourage you to think about this in terms of like four-month commitments. So in the next four months, what you're saying yes to is I'll jump in and I'll see how it goes for the next four months of my life. I'll say yes to that. But here's the ask: I just want to be clear with it. That everyone who calls Stonegate home would find a way to pursue biblical greatness by finding a way to serve. Now, some of you, when you look at this card, it's like, oh, that's obviously kind of where my gifts and and passions and all that stuff sort of lean. And if that's you, then great. Uh, Check that box, it kind of fits with that. But for others, your posture is very much of a, gosh, what is needed around here? What would be the best place for me to jump in and serve? And if that's you, I just wanna tell you what uh, the best two places for you to jump into would be. Uh, One would be our kids' ministry. It's uh, probably the single biggest lift to get to a third service is in our kids' ministry. And it would be a wonderful way for you to jump in and serve. Uh, in a lot of ways, what you're doing every week in kids ministry is you are evangelizing pre-Christians, uh, men and women who are going to be Christians later on. You're, you're just getting a chance to play a part in that redemptive work and that redemptive story that the Lord is writing in their life. It's it's an amazing way to serve. Right? And it's every Sunday morning right over there. That would be a wonderful way for you to give your life away in service of other people, making yourself low to serve others. Uh, So that would be a really great one. Secondly, would be in just the connections world, Um, all the stuff that that it takes to really welcome one another well, to to welcome others well, from the parking lot all the way to coffee to first impression, just all the team that makes uh, it a great experience for people as they come to Stonegate to feel loved and seen and cared for while they're here. But let me be clear on the ask again. It's for everyone who calls Stonegate home to take this step toward biblical greatness by saying yes to a place to serve. So uh, during the rest of the the service, you can uh, be thinking about this, praying about this, and as you get ready, you can fill out that card. And then after the service, uh, you can take this out to the lobby. We've got the same two stations out there and they will trade this card for anyone who is stepping into service at Stonegate. We'll we'll trade that card for a uh, shirt. one of these nifty make-room shirts right out there waiting for you. Cool? So that's after the service. You can take that out to the lobby. Okay, so we're going to finish here. Look at verse 45. In verse 45, Jesus shows the way to greatness. It's the way to greatness revealed. Look at verse 45. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So think about what's happening in this passage. Jesus redefines greatness for us. And he shows us how to be great. It's not by making servants of all, it's by becoming a servant of all. And isn't Jesus the ultimate example of doing that very thing? He gave up his life so that you could have life. Jesus saved us by serving us. So Jesus is like, if you want a model of what it looks like to serve, it's like, look no further than to Jesus. But friends, we need more than a great example of servant-heartedness a great example of greatness. We actually need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus if we're going to walk in biblical greatness. We actually need the gospel if we're gonna walk in greatness. And you see that in that one word, ransom, in verse 45. You see that word? You might underline that word. That word is telling us two really important things. First, it shows us our condition that word ransom is not a word that we often use in our sort of 21st century American vocabulary, but it would be a very common word in the first century. And I love how one commentator talks about it. He says this is the common vernacular, the way it would typically be used in that setting. He said a ransom was familiar, it was a familiar image in the Jewish and the Roman and the Greek cultures. It was the price paid to liberate a slave. The price paid to liberate a prisoner of war or a condemned person. So think about what that word is implying. When Jesus says, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many, it's implying that we are the condemned people. We are the enslaved people, enslaved to sin, locked in chains for which we have no key. That's what it's implying. That word reminds us, that word ransom reminds us that that we are in need of the rescuing work of, of Jesus. You are, I am, we, we all are, but we're in need. It shows us our condition. And then it shows us God's provision. Jesus is saying, I came to be your servant. I came to give my life for you as your ransom. I have paid the price of your liberation with my life. I I came to free you from that enslaving self-centeredness that that makes us want to make servants of all. I've, I've come to free you from that, Jesus says, so that you could become a servant of all. This is what Jesus came to do and accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus paid the price of our ransom. And it's when that settles deep down in our bones that humble servanthood becomes possible. And listen, it's only when that settles deep down in our bones. It is the service of Jesus that makes our service possible. Uh, So let me just give you an illustration and we're finished here. Uh, Think about James and John. They're they're great illustrations of this very truth playing itself out that we actually need the ransoming work of Jesus if we are going to to humble ourselves and lower ourselves in this way. Uh, Think about James. In Mark 10, James is a prideful man, he's marked by selfish ambition. But James changed. He he changed. By the time we see him in the book of Acts, he is a humble man. He's a leader in the early church. He is serving Jesus and serving others. He has lowered himself all the way to the point that in Acts 12, we read this about James. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, that makes me want to ask, what happened to James? How did he go from, uh, give me the the first seat, Jesus. Uh, Give me that seat too. I will give my life for you, Jesus. I will give my life for you, uh, early church. How did that happen? Answer, Jesus, the Savior, died as a ransom. That's how it happened. Let's take John. John was self-confident, prideful, uh, make everyone else my servant type of guy. That, that's what he was. And then he went on to write five books in the New Testament and say things like this in 1 John three sixteen. The same John, who, who Jesus, I, I wanna be great. Will you, will you give me that part? That Jane, or John said this, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What happened to this man? How do you go from give me to I will give my life? I will gladly, how how do you do that? How do you explain that? Answer, Jesus died as a ransom. Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the grave, a servant of all, and that changed them. It fundamentally changed them. It freed them up to lay down their agenda of making servants, to take up Jesus' agenda of becoming a servant. And church, if it changed them, it can change us. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? I want to give you a moment here to ask the Lord for help this morning. that desire for worldly greatness undetected in you? But what would be some ways that the Lord would want to press this passage upon your heart? And just as you're praying over that card, what would be a way that you could express that desire for biblical greatness by serving The bride, the the church. would be a way you could do that? And friends, some of you, Jesus brought here this morning to be able to look at you and say, I gave my life as a ransom for you to rescue you and save you. And if that's you, you can call out to the Lord right now in the best way you know how, and he will rescue you right now in this moment. So, So do that, call out to him. Jesus, would you help us this morning? Would you speak to us? Father, would you lead us today? Would you give us humble hearts that could be responsive to you, our King? And it's in the good name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.